So a few episodes ago in my interview with Alexander LaPratt, Alex was sharing a story about he was talking to a friend of his who had had all these wine bars, and seemingly out of nowhere, he shuttered a whole string of these properties in quick succession. And Alex turned to him and said, what happened? And this guy turned back to him and he said, look, you can't survive on Friday and Saturday nights. I'm thinking a lot of you out there know what he's talking about. Weekend business is booming, and yet the weeknights are dead. This is a problem many restaurants deal with, and today, I'm going to help you brainstorm a few ways to fill those seats. So on today's episode, I'm sharing eight ways to pack your place on Monday nights. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who can see when shown, and those who will never see. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for everyone in the middle. Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly marketing podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. Now, each week I choose a different topic, we explore that topic, we pick it apart, hopefully by the end we come across some useful insights, and then we always finish up with an assignment. I leave you with a short, actionable task, something you can do right away to start implementing some of the concepts and ideas that we talk about here on the show because I believe information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, as I said at the top, a restaurant cannot survive on just weekend business. You need to find ways to fill seats all the other nights of the week as well. In fact, you're paying rent 365 days a year, right? 24 hours each and every day. Businesses should figure out ways to be busy all the time. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, late night, Otherwise, if you think about it, you're paying rent at times when you're empty. Now, of course, we all know that's not always possible. If you're opening a tavern, let's say, there aren't a lot of people looking for a burger and a beer at 7 a.m. And likewise, if you run a cute little bagel shop, you may have limited demand uh, come dinner time. But it's worth considering. For example, there's a bar I used to go to in Hell's Kitchen here in New York City. And strangely enough, they would open every morning at 6 a.m., and they served breakfast and beer. Why? Because they would capture foot traffic from some of the construction workers and subway employees just getting off from the overnight shift. So for the rest of us, we needed coffee, but for those guys, they wanted an omelet, a beer, and then home to bed. With that being said, I will concede that these problems often go deeper than just a quick fix. Your concept may not easily bend to accept business on some of these off nights, but then I'll ask you, did you pick the right concept for your area? Meaning, if you opened a, a romantic fine dining restaurant, you have to acknowledge the fact that you are going to cater to people celebrating birthdays and anniversaries. But you're also going to have to contend with the reality that most people don't go out to celebrate like that on a Monday or Tuesday night, especially if, let's say, they have kids in school. So remember, it's all about serving an audience, and oftentimes restaurants fail simply because the owners didn't listen to their audience or uh, they identified the wrong audience, or worst of all, they simply opened the restaurant they wanted to open and never once stopped to consider an audience. Now, the ideas I'm going to share in this episode are not meant to replace that deep work that we've discussed in previous episodes. Instead, I'm going to help you spark ideas, help you come up with new ways to reach your existing audience, 
and new ways to introduce yourself to new audiences. So this episode is titled Eight Ways to Pack the Place on Monday Nights. And I hope you understand that when I say Monday night, I'm talking about whatever your slow times are. So for a sports bar, I have to assume uh, you guys are probably pretty busy on Monday nights because you've got Monday night football. So for you guys, just replace Monday with, let's say, Tuesday. But the idea is the same. Together, let's discover new ways to bring in customers. Now, we're going to dive in, but first let me tell you the one thing you're not going to find here. Discounts. This always seems to be the first thing people gravitate to, I think, because it's easy. It feels productive, like you're doing something, but remember, coupons cheapen the brand. It cheapens the product in the eyes of the consumer, and in time, your customers will come to expect coupons. They'll wait for the deals, and so you'll get caught in this never-ending loop. So unless you absolutely have to, or if it's already a robust part of your current marketing model, I would say please leave this alone. Leave discounting alone. Now, the ideas I'm going to share with you are ways to magnify your brand, to grow your audience, and help create demand for your product through scarcity. Without further ado, I want to dive in. Here are the eight ideas. Number one is special offerings. Number two, unique programming. Number three, new audiences. Number four, partnerships. Number five, giveaways. Number six, classes, number seven, education and insights, and number eight, private parties. Now, what does all that mean? We're going to get into that. We're going to go through each and every one, one at a time. Stick around. I hope you uh, I hope you get something out of this. So number one, special menu offerings. Now, you've seen restaurants do this. Lobster night on Mondays or prime rib on Tuesdays, all you can eat carbonara on Wednesdays, and so on. We roll our eyes because it's become tired. It's it's so overused, we, we hardly pay attention anymore. But what if you found a new way to do this? For example, and this is just an idea, what if you took your most popular dish and made it available only on Monday nights? Sounds crazy, right? But could it work? The best example I can think of uh, to illustrate this is a place here in uh, New York City called City Bakery, which actually, sadly enough, just closed after 20-some years in business because of a rent increase. But um, but in the cold months, they were famous for their rich, decadent hot chocolate. It's so thick, you almost needed a spoon to enjoy it. And this place is right in the heart of the Flatiron District, and so they do much of their business Monday through Friday because of all of the office buildings around them. They sell coffee and pastries and sandwiches and salads and, yes, of course, their famous hot chocolate. But the other thing they're famous for is a caramelized pain perdu, which is like a piece of thick-cut French toast that's been coated in a buttery sweet caramel sauce. It is the perfect accompaniment for the hot chocolate, but they would only ever offer them on Saturdays and Sundays. So if you wanted this super famous item that always got written up and discussed, you had to go during their downtime. So what would that be for your business? Maybe you run a tavern and every Tuesday night in the summer, you could do a traditional Maryland blue crab boil. 40 bucks gets you all you can eat crabs and your first beer is on the house. Crabs aren't available any other night of the week just Tuesdays. You make it an event, right? You cover um, you cover all the tables with newsprint and it becomes a, a community kind of thing. Everybody's there for the same reason. In fact, maybe that's all you serve on Tuesday nights in the summer. 
or let's say uh, let's say you have a wing place and you offer your spiciest wings only on Wednesdays. Like them hot? These are the ghost pepper wings. This is your night every Wednesday night. It won't cater to everyone, just that select audience who wants something extra. But you will be identifying that audience and finding a way to, to build business on what would be an off night. Let's say you run a breakfast spot that makes most of its money during the morning hours. Okay, so maybe you stay open late one night a week and push a breakfast for dinner promotion. I remember being a kid and loving when my mom would suggest doing breakfast for dinner. Hell, IHOP has turned that into their business model, basically. So what's to say you can't do something similar? And again, make it an event. Maybe there are items you add to the menu that might sell better at night. So um, dishes like a steak and eggs. Or maybe you'll serve up a waffles and ice cream dessert. Something you don't typically see getting ordered at breakfast time. Which night needs a boost? Then start brainstorming ideas that will appeal to your audience and hook into your mission and your brand. Number two, the second area I want to talk about is unique programming. So again, you've no doubt seen restaurants do this. They run a wine tasting series on the first Tuesday of every month. People can buy tickets to one of them, or they can get a discount by signing up for all of them. It's usually a great way to create a unique experience for your guests to give them another way to connect with you and your brand. I've certainly done this before for my clients. I've helped organize winemaker dinners and tasting events. Uh, I talked about this in a previous episode, but again, think outside the box. Can you partner maybe uh, not just with a, a winery, but maybe a local distillery uh, or a craft brewer? Maybe you do a four-course dinner where every dish is paired with a different beer or a different cocktail so you can taste a variety of different expressions of a given spirit. You could do a summer celebration where you work with um, local farms to feature their products. Let's say every Monday night in June, you'll be serving a harvest dinner using products only from this one particular farm or, or whoever it is you're partnering with. Maybe you choose two farms that offer different products. So maybe one raises livestock and the other produce. So it's a win-win. For a restaurant that focuses, let's say, on fresh farm-to-table products, this is a great way to serve your audience. It's a great way to tell your story. And most importantly, to deepen your relationship with those farmers. Think about what else you can do. When we talk about programming, it can refer to a bunch of different things, not just the menu. Maybe you line up live entertainment on Monday nights, live music or a comedy lineup, uh, or an open mic where local singer-songwriters can get up and do their thing. Maybe you bring in a guest bartender on Monday nights who specializes in super complicated craft cocktails. So she puts together a short list of specialty drinks, and she's there all night long putting on something of a show and talking about what she does. Maybe you've got a great wine list, and every Monday night you open up a killer white and a killer red to serve by the glass. So maybe that's a sought-after white burgundy or a hard-to-find vintage of an award-winning California cab. The goal is to create a bit of a buzz in the restaurant and get the right kind of people in the door. The people who know wine will understand that this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance, and in time, you'll start to build repeat business because those people will come back to try some of these exclusive offerings that you're serving up. So that's number two, unique programming, both in your beverage program, your menu, and, uh, and your entertainment. Number three, let's think about the audience you're not serving. So remember, marketing is just three questions. What's your product? Who's it for? And how can you reach them? The first two questions need to be answered before you can dive into the third. 
And if you've been following the podcast for a while, you know that this is what I'm always saying. Okay, so picture your audience. And then think about the people in your audience that you're not serving. I have a couple of examples of this. The first one is an off-Broadway theater company here in the city that recently did something so bold, so outside the box, so brilliant, that it got them a bunch of attention. But really, it wasn't crazy at all. They simply did this exercise. They thought about their audience and then tried to figure out who they weren't serving in that audience. What did they do? They started offering a babysitting service so the parents could go see their shows. So on Saturday matinee performances, they turned one of their rehearsal studios upstairs into a kid's playland and paid three or four babysitters to watch the kids for the duration of the show. For 15 bucks, the parents could drop off their kids and then go downstairs to see the play. At the end of the show, they went up and retrieved their kids. And the company said, there are a bunch of our patrons who, who came in their 20s but now have drifted away since they've started having kids. So they made it cheap enough so the theater goers couldn't object, and it worked. They were able to reach the audience that they were no longer reaching. Now, the other example I always think of are sports bars here in America. So here in America, we follow a lot of sports, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, uh, though the one that is uh, only just starting to catch on is soccer. And yet there are a host of rabid fans here in the U.S., either kids who grew up loving soccer and now follow the European leagues, uh, like the Premier League or La Liga or Bundesliga, or there are European transplants who now live here in the U.S. and still support their club back home. I'm always suggesting this to bar owners. Choose a Premier League team to support and advertise that. So whether that's Chelsea or Liverpool or Man City or whatever, pick one broadcast your support and make it known that you'll be airing every single game on the big screens and watch what happens. Now, Europe is five hours ahead of us. And so the games are played here uh, in the morning hours when nothing else is on TV. There are really no sports bars that are busy early in the morning because no American sports get played early in the morning. So if you can do this, you will find success. So again, number three was all about uh, thinking about your audience and figuring out who in that audience you're not serving. Number four, business partnerships. Now, uh, you'll remember I spoke about this on last week's episode. In fact, I gave two different examples. So I'm going to share those examples again, uh, plus a third. Look to the local businesses in your area and see how you can help each other. Now, you'll remember I suggested partnering up with a local bookstore uh, to do something like an author night on the first Monday of every month. So people come in, they pay a fixed price, let's say $100, and for that, they get a three-course meal, they get a signed copy of the book, and then the rare opportunity to hear the author read from her book, and then maybe um, uh, the chance to, to answer some questions uh, from the crowd. It's a unique experience, the kind of thing that they wouldn't have access to normally, and you're, uh, you're helping to reach a, a different audience, right? You're going to leverage your list, your email list, and the, um, and the bookstore is going to leverage theirs. You're both going to reach uh, each other's audiences, and that is the definition of a win-win. The other example that I used last week uh, was to partner up with a wine store, right? So let's say there's a wine store in your area, in your neighborhood, maybe around the corner. So the shop is going to offer 15% off every Tuesday night. And you wave corkage every Tuesday night. The hope being that people will buy their wine, then wander down the street to drink it at your restaurant. And now, of course, you may not be making as much money as you could, 
but it's better than nothing. Remember, you're trying to build downtime business. And if Tuesdays are dead in your restaurant, some business is better than no business. And who knows? There may be other better, different, more interesting ways to broaden that relationship in time. But this is the first step. Now, the third example I'm going to give uh, is uh, has to do with my son. So my son goes to gym class once a week on Saturday afternoons. Uh, and a, co- a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to the owner. Um, and recently, they started offering a date night program. So once every other month, they throw a pizza party in the gym for the kids on a Friday night. And the parents get a date night. Now, it wasn't really taking off. So I recommended why not partner with um, with a couple of restaurants in the area. And they've done just that. They've now partnered with four or five different restaurants within walking distance, and they've started cross-promoting this date night at the gym. It's a win-win. Parents are going to be more apt to drop off their kids if they know they have a good restaurant option within walking distance. Likewise, maybe there are patrons of the restaurants um, that would come to the restaurant more if they knew there was a a cheap way um, to get childcare for their kids, let's say once a month or once every other month. Um, so it is uh, it is now a win-win because they've thought about the problem all the way around. Now, those are just a few examples, but I want you to think of some other businesses on your block or in your town. Brainstorm ideas without judgment, then go back and figure out the best ones to pursue. And P.S. Sometimes you don't have to come armed with the answers. Sometimes it's enough to just walk over, introduce yourself to the other business owner, and tell them you'd like to partner up with them. Two heads are indeed better than one, and they may be able to come up with some great ideas as well. That brings us to number five, giveaways. So I said this at the top, I do not like to do discounting because I think it cheapens the brand, and in time, people will scoff at the full price you're charging, and they'll just wait around for the lower sale price. But giveaways are something different. And when used judiciously, they can be very effective. Let's say kids get a free meal with every adult entree. So a family of four can get quite a break if they all come in and dine together. Or buy an app and an entree and get a free dessert. It costs you relatively little in real cost. It helps bring in some people who otherwise might not have done so. And most importantly, it's building a connection to your audience. You're showing them some love. It is not the best way to get people in the door, so it's not the one I love to push, but I think it's definitely part of this conversation, so I thought it worth mentioning. Number six, classes. More than anything, a restaurant's most valuable resource is its staff and the incredible wealth of knowledge that they possess. How can you leverage that knowledge to provide something valuable to your guests? Why not offer classes from time to time? Obviously, Right off the bat, let me say that this offers certain challenges I know for sanitary reasons and safety reasons. Having a bunch of people in the kitchen cooking isn't always possible. But then let's think about what is possible. How about a wine class with your wine director? So once a week or let's say once a month, a class is offered focusing in on a certain topic. Maybe it's a a specific region like Piedmont or Bordeaux. Maybe you look at a certain grape like Chardonnay and learn all about its versatility, right? This is a grape that's grown in Burgundy in France and California and also Oregon and Australia and so on. Maybe you taste some examples of Chardonnay from each different region to identify the differences. People get to try wine and learn about wine and then direct their questions to a certified sommelier who can help guide them through the experience. 
Or maybe you do classes all on blind tasting, being able to assess a wine's quality, not by its label, but by what you smell and taste. Or maybe there's a class all about collecting wine. So you're dealing with wine as an investment, being able to identify which wines will increase in value and how best you can grow that portfolio and then how best to divest yourself of the seller when it comes time to sell. You could do a mixology class. Uh, So maybe your head bartender teaches people the basics of mixing drinks, how to balance alcohol with uh, with the sweet, sour, bitter, and, and other textures and other qualities. And as for cooking, yeah, maybe you can't bring 10 students into your kitchen, but perhaps you could do a pasta making class in the private dining room or just in a corner of your main dining room. People learn how to make the dough. They roll it out, and then they're taught the methods for making six or eight different kinds of pasta. The chef teaches them about why certain pastas are used for certain sauces. And then at the end, the chef takes all the pasta, goes back to the kitchen, cooks everything up for the students to eat. So a three-hour class is really two hours of work and maybe then an hour of eating, drinking, and asking more questions and and getting to know the other students because uh, by doing it this way, you're also promoting a sense of community. Maybe there's a class about butchering or filleting fish or, or whatever. You certainly know your audience better than I do, But think about classes and education. Remember, there is a wealth of knowledge that your staff possesses. Leverage that to boost your downtime business. Number seven, I call this education and insights. What if you hosted an exclusive dinner where your guests could dine with your chef or perhaps another chef that's visiting from out of town? Maybe the two of them are going to sit side by side and talk all about their travels or share crazy stories from opening their restaurants. Access is something that people will often pay for. A unique experience is a scarce commodity. Or what about other speakers that your audience might be interested in? So for example, I was working with a restaurant who coordinated a dinner titled The State of Seafood, and the guest speaker uh, was a gentleman named Paul Greenberg, who is an award-winning author and activist who has written extensively about the state of fishing, not just around our country, but throughout the world. And so the dinner featured a lineup of sustainable fish, like totog and porgy and conch. He welcomed the guests, stopped by each table throughout the night, and then gave about a 40-minute lecture during the entree course. Afterwards, as guests sipped their coffee, they milled around and were able to ask Paul more probing questions after his speech. And while these were all affluent, educated New Yorkers, most of them had never heard some of the statistics that Paul was sharing. For example, that over 90% of the seafood that we eat here in America is actually imported. We are surrounded by water. How can that be? Paul was there to answer those questions. So again, think about your audience. Think about your restaurant. Maybe it's a local celebrity that you bring in or an actor or an athlete. Maybe it's an author or another chef. Whatever you do, make sure it aligns with your values as a business and that it will help attract your audience. Finally, number eight, private events. What organizations in town already gather together on Monday nights? Are there book clubs or PTA meetings or office leadership meetings? Why not host them at your restaurant? Why not close for the night and let them have the run of the place if they're willing to pay for it. The bottom line with all of these ideas is that you have to think outside the box. You have to be willing to come at the problem from a new direction, a new perspective. Yes, you are a restaurant. Yes, you are serving food and wine. But remember, that's not the product. The product is a unique dining experience. And if we're in the business of crafting unique experiences, we have a lot more leeway than we think.
So again, those eight areas to focus on are special offerings, right? Special menu offerings. Number two, unique programming. Number three, finding new ways to reach audiences you're not yet serving. Number four, exploiting the partnerships. Number five, giveaways. Number six, hosting classes. Number seven, education and insights. And then number eight, private events. Your assignment for this week, I want you to first assess where your downtime is, right? What's the problem that needs solving? Is it Monday night or weekday afternoons or late night business? Figure that out first. Then I want you to go through all eight of these areas and brainstorm at least three ideas for each. Now, you're not judging the ideas yet. You're just coming up with some potentials. At the end, you should have at least 24 potential ideas, and I want you to start talking to people about them. I want you to share this episode with them, and then I want to talk about the problem you're looking to solve. Then start debating solutions. Now, you can do this with your managers, your chefs, other colleagues, maybe family and friends. Just make sure you're talking to people who are thinking like you think, who are thinking entrepreneurially, people who understand what it means to problem solve. New problems require new solutions, and often the things that got you this far are not the things that are going to get you the rest of the way. Finally, then, for continuing education, I'm linking to an article I read earlier this year. It's from Entrepreneur Magazine, all about thinking outside the box. It's a relatively quick read, but comes packed with some good insights. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you being here. Uh, Again, it means the world to me to have you here. If you stopped showing up, there'd be no reason for me to keep showing up. Keep spreading the word. If you haven't done so already, click the subscribe button, and I will see you next time.